HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit Michter's.com to find out how their taste-is-everything, cost-be-damned attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And uh, if you notice, there's a nervous excitement in my voice. It's because I have two people in the studio today who I look up to so much, um, who I've, I've been very uh, aware of in this industry. You've influenced me personally very much in this industry for a long time. Uh, we have Francine Stevens and Luca Pasquinelli from uh, Franny's Restaurant. Uh, Luca I worked with at, at Babo. Um, seven, eight years ago. Uh, he was the, uh, the more senior sommelier and, and definitely took me uh, under uh, under his wings. I, I had, uh, I had uh, no to very little experience at the time and was eager and asked tons of questions. And Luke was so patient uh, with all of my, my crazy, annoying questions. It was too nice. amazing. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and Francine, the owner, owner of Franny's, um, just one of my favorite, really informed my move to Park Slope. <laughs> I can't, and I can't uh, overstate that. And uh, we, at, at the restaurants, we're all such huge fans of Franny's. Um, I, I, just to give you a little uh, quip, I think I might have told you this before, but um, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I think that Gabe, my business partner, the chef, is is like the greatest guy, the greatest chef. I love his food. I tell him all the time. But uh, recently, I told him that one of the dishes he made reminded me of something I ate at Franny's, and he got choked up, and he was like, that's the nicest thing you've ever said about my food. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's a huge, huge fan. And uh, before we uh, before we opened Delanima, his wife and I went to Franny's, and we're like, wow, if we could just capture this vibe, this great positive energy that's here uh, alongside great food, then, uh, or at least a little bit, then, then we'll, we'll be doing something good. So I'm so excited you guys are here. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you having so us. Much. Welcome. So um, I, I'm, I'm also, ex- I mean, one of the many reasons I, I love Franny so much is that it is a, uh, a, a great restaurant, uses uh, 
a lot of locally sustainable food. You see all the, the farms on, on the back. Um, but you have two people who are, are running the restaurant, the, the general manager, Luca, who's, who is five years in the wine program at, at Babo, 20 years in the, in the restaurant industry. And, uh, and Francine, you do, you, you do the, you still oversee the wine program. Someone, this is a wine focused, but neighborhood restaurant. And I, and I love that. Um, how did, how did that come to be? Was that something from the beginning that you were, you were always, always made it a focus? Not necessarily. I mean, it all started because I married a chef and Mm. at that time, you know, going back 15 years, there were much, many fewer opportunities for chefs in the food business. It wasn't, it was kind of like you're a chef, you open a restaurant, that's what you do. And so at that time when I met Andrew, my husband, I had never worked in a restaurant. I had never, I didn't know anything about the whole, the whole culture of, of food. I was uh, from a restaurant perspective. So we, I went to restaurant management school. We said, all right, we're going to open a restaurant. And I, I took the fast course to learning. And for me, that was wine because Andrew did the food part. I didn't need to do that. And so we spent a lot of time in Italy and I fell in love with the wines of Italy. Wow. And uh, and Luca, how is it? How has the transition for you been from uh, being more focused on the wine program to now running a super popular, constantly? Pa- I mean, I've, I go on, uh, try to go on the less busy times, and I think I walk, try to walk in at nine thirty, nine forty five on a Tuesday night, and there was still a wait. So, how how has that been? Uh, the transition from more fine dining and focusing on wine to a more casual but uh, still very high quality. And, and I'm just going to quickly say there. that Luca Pasquinelli runs the wine program not only at Franny's but oh. at Marco's. Wow, there yeah. it is. Okay, our other restaurant, yeah, lest there's... we forget. Don't forget Marcos and also the Larder, which I, I love as well. So, uh, so now you're so you're running the wine program for both of the restaurants. Well, oh. we run it kind of together. Okay. It's not all on me. Um, I was in the restaurant business for a long time, like you said before. So, going from being sommelier, from server to assistant GM when I went uh, when I left Babo, um, it's just finding perfection into the uh, job that I love. You know, industry and getting people happy and being in that side, it's, it doesn't really matter what job you do. I just enjoy it. Yes. So I go out there, whether I'm a GM. Um, as a GM, you have to keep your staff happy. When you're sommelier, you just keep your customer happy. And you keep giving all the information and you keep searching for more. When you came in on Tobago, uh, we worked together. I was only a five-year-old sommelier. And because of you and because many other people that work beneath me um, or along with me, not really beneath, we all under the same wing, um, it was for me to be study more, to read more and to make me better. Yes. So we all kind of, you know, you ask the question, I have to search for the answer. Uh, and tomorrow there's going to be more questions and more answers. And we just keep reading. And, you know, you just keep growing. Now that uh, Franny has given me the chance to overlook the uh, both wine list, which we're doing it very much together, um, it's becoming more difficult because I am the GM and I'm taking care of the wine program. So every time that we say, okay, let's slow down to buy, the GM has to turn around and tell the wine director to slow down buying. <laughs> so I'm having a lot of interior fights. But that's but like any small restaurant, right, Luca? I mean, the GM wears multiple hats, and you do a little bit of everything, and as yeah. we all do. Yes. Yeah. There's always a, there's always a pitching in if 
there's a plumbing pro- problem, the GM. Yeah. yeah. If you're excited about a new wine, the wine director. So what, what new wines are, are you excited about? I've always loved how on, on your lists that I felt like every single wine on that list was there for a reason. There's nothing that was superfluous. I would drink every single wine and get really excited about it. What, what are you excited about in, uh, in Italy right now? Well, to your point, what you just said, I think that Luca and I are constantly talking about the fact that on some level, not that I've ever had a list that has every Italian wine on it, but there are lists out there that have every single Italian wine on it. And on some level, I imagine it to be a lot easier to create that list as opposed to a highly curated list. Mm-hmm. Um, at Marco's, both Marco's and Franny's, we have highly curated lists, uh, both out of financial necessity and out of uh, spatial Spatial necessity? Is that a, is yeah. that a term? I don't know. We don't <laughs> physical have a, space. Physical so. space, yeah. right? Um, so I think there, every wine we choose, we have to really love and has to have a place on the list. Uh, last night, actually two nights ago, Luca handed me a bottle. This is what he does these days. He'll buy something and I'll say, Luca, I want to know everything you buy. And then he'll come in and he'll, and he'll, he'll hand me a bottle and say, um, I, I bought this. I, try it. You know, and I don't know anything about this wine, Luca. And, and so last night it was the... Uh, Who's the producer? Help me. Andreas Covero. Yes, the Rosato. Uh, Barbera, 100% Barbera. Oh, my God. It's it's a perfect winter Rosato. So mm-hmm. it's perfect to be drinking into this kind of transitional time. It has the, the depth of the fruit, but it's lean. Very exciting. Do you know that wine? I don't know that wine. You should Andreas know it. Covero. First time they came in the States. Mm. Only 15 cases in the States. Whoa. Very little. Yeah. Who uh, And who distributes it? Uh, that is uh, our friend from Critical Mass. Okay. Yeah. Ross. 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 Good guy. Mm-hmm. Oh. He's got a lot of little gems. Mm-hmm. It's, but, you know, going back to that, what's exciting right now in Italy, there's a lot going on. There is a lot going on, a lot of great producer going forward, a lot of fantastic one going backwards. Right. Because of the whole sense of what's organic, who's protecting organic, who's protecting biodynamic, who's protecting the DOC, who's... There is so much confusion. Yeah, so Italy. how would you... Uh, Hard to hard to put this into some one succinct sentence, but how would you characterize the state of the Italian wine industry uh, right now? Obviously, there's there's been some recent scandals. There's uh, been some crazy weather. We were talking about the the hail before the, the show started that that's affected wine regions as well as some cities. Um, but then there's also exciting things like new grapes coming out, uh, more producers doing more more natural winemaking. Is it an optimistic time in in Italy, or how would you, how would you characterize it? Well, I I talk to my family all the time, and on their side, as a life, it's a little hard. But what I've been um, understanding is that all the Italians have a background of agriculture. Um, so the first generation makes the wine. The second generation generally don't do it because they want to follow their own dreams. But now the third generation is coming back into making mm-hmm. wine and agriculture. And what they do, they look at what the grandfather used to do. So it's kind of, a, um, it's kind of a, an atomic bomb, Italy. It keeps changing. It's ever-changing. It's ever-exploding. Things always happen. Uh, they go down and then they come back up. And it's, it's a continuous motion because it's really rich. It's rich of history. It's rich of passion. It's rich of agriculture. The weather is fantastic. There is a lot that is going on. So as many things are becoming better and better and more exciting, mm-hmm. on the other side, 
things are falling off. People are just like doing the wrong thing all the time. Right. You know, I think what we're seeing in New York, to take it from Italy to New York, is that with an increased amount of people growing grapes and, and, and cultivating wine in Italy, in New York, we're seeing more and more wine being imported. And so as a restaurateur, I have more wine trying to be sold to me on a weekly basis than ever, ever before. I'm sure you see that as well. And I think that I'm going to take this kind of grand right now. There, there's so much fakery in our in our in our culture in our world, uh, and I think the same goes for wine. And I think that with all the abundance of wine that we're tasting mm-hmm. and being shown, it's increasingly difficult to to remember where your palate is and to remember to. Um, it, it, there's a lot of confusion, I guess I want to say, in, in the world of, of Italian wine because there's so much, and a lot of it's not good, and it's easy to taste something quickly and say, oh, my God, it's so good. And then when you, you purchase it as a restaurateur and then you drink a bottle over the course of a meal and feel deceived. Oh, my God, I, I oh. actually don't like this wine. Wow. Mm-hmm. How did I get tricked? How did that happen? And so, you know, I know Luca and I have been having many conversations lately about kind of taking a step back with all this wine being being brought to us and saying we don't want to be deceived. Let's go back to how do we remember our palate? You know, how to remember what we love. And so we are increasingly going back to producers that uh, we have faith in, producers who uh, have history, uh, the classic producers that we've always known. We mm-hmm. know the integrity of their product. Um, and from there, we can kind of start branching out again. Right, because it's so, I mean, it's so exciting. And part of the reason I think that, that we all love wine is that sense of discovery, that new Rosato Barbera that you never tasted before. It's, not only is it delicious, but it's exciting to try something something new. Um, but then there's also that other side where if someone brings you a new producer and you never had before, you're really trusting the, the distributor, whoever's saying, Hey, this is, this is the story of the producer. And they totally make it, uh, with respect for the environment and they don't add any yeast, but unless you are in that winery and know them and, and seen firsthand, you really don't know that that's the truth. I think you can take the same argument to the world of biodynamic and organic wine right now, especially in Italy, or particularly in Italy. Uh, the more I taste, organ- organic wine is kind of, you know, in fashion right now, right, mm-hmm. as is biodynamic wine. And I feel like the more I taste, the more the wine tastes the same. Hmm, that's so curious to me. Wow, how can a Barbera from Piedmont taste like a Frappato from Sicily? How is that possible? Well, they're both why, Luca? You can explain why, but it's also trickery, and I'm a little disillusioned with the world of organic wine. Luca, you speak to that. Yeah, well, it's if we go back to a line of production. So I found that beer are evolving way better because every draft or not draft or bottle, they are able to, with the same way of making the beer, everybody's able to give the beer an identity. But yes, I think that a lot of these organic orange, as we call them orange, because they look like uh, the color of orange um, most most of the time, iced tea. We, I feel like that we are losing a little bit the identity of the grape because mm-hmm. of the style of wine. Um, there are a few producers that allows the grape still to speak. And that's what me and Franny always do. We taste it, does it, does the producer follow through with his idea into the glass and is the wine keeps speaking about the idea of the producer or it doesn't because it's easy to explain how the wine is made and mm-hmm. when you pick the grape and how do you produce it but 
does it speak to me? I mean, Luca, that's a really good way to say it. I feel like the the concept of creating a, an organic wine or a biodynamic wine has been taking precedence over the grape and the terroir. And as a result, these wines are tasting very similar that should not be tasting similar. And my little voice here in Brooklyn wants to, to stop that. Yeah. I know wh- whether it's making big alcoholic fruit bombs or making organic wine, you should still have uniqueness and individuality and, and a sense of place and, and taste that's not this, the same. I, I couldn't agree any more with that. I want to talk with you guys more about your thoughts on organic and biodynamic wines uh, when, we, uh, when we get back after just a short break. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Save your soul, the Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of In the Drink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's cost be damned, taste is everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food and Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit michters.com. Or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, and we're back with Francine Stevens, the owner of Franny's and Marco's and Larder, and Luca Pasquinelli, the both the general manager and wine director Hello. of <laughs> uh, of Franny's and Marco's. Um, 
And I should give a shout out also, we just, uh, you, you just got one of our, our long-term veterans, Leah Klein, came over to Marco's. Leah uh, was, uh, was with us for uh, about four years, and uh, we wish her the best. And I'm going to be coming to, uh, to visit her at Marco's uh, shortly. Um, anyway, so before we, before we left, um, we were talking about organic and biodynamic wine. And Francine said that, uh, that she was a little disillusioned with the uh with the organic and biodynamic wine industry in Italy um your your wine lists tend to not only just focus on these wines but also highlight and say which wines are made in that in that style is that something that you're going to be rethinking um going forward that's a great question you know we do that on the Franny's list and we do not do that on the Marco's list when we open Franny's Almost 15 years ago, right? Not quite, but almost. I know, it's insane. Uh, I think I just gained a few years, but something like that. On the back of the menu, uh, we listed all the resources of our produce, everything from the, the produce to the grains, you know, to the to the everything, the cleaning products we used. It was a big part of our, our concept. Now, a lot of restaurants do that, and mm-hmm. that's a great thing. I think that's a really important trend. I, I can back that trend. Uh, we mirrored that with the wine list at Franny's. And when we moved Franny's to the larger location last year, I was over it. I was like, oh, everyone's doing that. I'm getting rid of the resources. Everyone knows that about us. And I have to say, there was a lot of rebellion. People wanted to know where the resources were, not only our guests, but our staff. It was valuable information to them in terms of educating, not in a heavy-handed way, but their own education and educating our guests as to what we do and why we do it. So I've continued, I put it back. I put the resources back and I put the wine, you know, little. we have a little star next to the organic and biodynamic wines. So we continue to do that. I don't do that at Marco's. I'm not 100% sure why I don't, but it's something brewing inside of my head in this related to this conversation that we're having around my disillusionment. And uh, I've, I'm, a, I'm a long advocate, as you know, of organic agriculture and the importance of it. And I, I don't stray from that. I, I, I do stray from that a little bit in the wine world because I think that the taste is has gone away. Mm-hmm. What I mean, what do you think is the main uh, culprit for this homogeneity? Is that a word? Homogeny? Homogeneity of taste, a homogenous taste, taste. <laughs> of uh, these or, some of these organic wines. Um, is it, uh, yeah? Is it is it a, a, a winemaking stylistic decision that they're making that makes them all taste the same? Where where do you think this comes from? I mean, I would very flippantly say it's market driven, but Luca, mm-hmm. you might have a better answer to that. Well, we're still in in an early stage. I I don't really know where to or how to explain it, but I feel like that it was started a while ago. Um, the first time that I met. Uh, husband and wife, the Louis Dresner husband and wife was in 2003 in New Orleans and they were kind of a, the first to really expose all this winemaking. Um, of course, Nicolas Jolie was one of the very, very first ones that I ever tasted it in that ideal. Um, but it's changed to the point where they almost hide a true identity and flaws by using this technique because you just open top fermentation, open cask, batonnage, everything is wild, everything is spontaneous. But there are a lot of great producers that still, they still follow, even if it's spontaneous, they still follow where the wine should be. 
And I feel like there is a lot of producer that just let it be. And whatever happens, happens. And then those wines are so out there to the point that I keep saying every time I taste it, I feel like I was put in the corner by my teacher again. I'm punished because I don't understand how we're learning and how things happen <laughs> in class. And so I'm behind you know, the chalkboard again um, when I taste this wine because yeah. my palate can understand it. And I'm like, well, what is the flavor? What am I tasting? What is the spices? What's going on? It's too much, almost too much. And is it good? Is it bad? I don't know because there is no. You know, here's a really there's interesting, no idea. Here's a really interesting example of almost the maybe the opposite, or or maybe it's the same thing of what you're saying. The Frank Cornelison wines out of Sicily. Oh, that was going okay. right through my mind as Luca was talking. So, so interesting funny. because when I first tasted those wines, I don't know what was it. Five years ago, six years ago? They first came to the market around then, yeah. Okay, sometime five, around five then. Five years ago. I was blown away. I, I I couldn't even believe this wine. It made me question what wine could be and what wine was. And I was truly blown away. And I brought them on the list with full love and abundance. And every year, and I know you notice this too, these wines have been getting cleaner. Every year they've been getting cleaner. More yeah. precise and cleaner. And I think that's his own evolution in thinking, you know, the first year, there's a lot of stories about, about yeah. this gentleman and his, his own ideas about wine. But I think he's going in, in, in my opinion, the right direction, you know, starting from this place of craziness and just totally experimenting and letting the wine be, as you say, Luca, to really honing in on what the grape in this region should be and the full expression of it. Yes. I, yeah, I hope everything agree. goes that way. There are a lot of producers there are getting cleaner. And I like those because, they, again, they speak in their mind. They're growing as wine producer. They're growing and they're making better decisions towards the wine and the grape variety and whatever it is. Uh, I, think, I believe that Frank started it by making wine in plastic tubs, just like beer makers. So now he's built a beautiful winery. He's got stainless steel. He's got cask. He's got yes. everything he needs. So the wine is getting a little cleaner. But his his mentality to showcase, um, I believe he used um, um, an Excel spreadsheet. He goes and look at the grapes and how the grapes comes out as a molecular structure. He puts them in in the spreadsheet and the spreadsheet tells him what grapes goes where. And decide from there if it's Susukaru, if it's Mungibel, if it's Contadino. And that's how he decides. Kind of a, the way that they do in Germany with Rieslings. It's about the producer that goes onto the field mm -hmm. and see what the grapes are asking him to do. So I guess by the same token, what Luke and I are doing with our own wine lists at Marcos and Franny's is we are, the, the starting point would be a producer that we know and love, right? So I'll take, for example... I can, uh, I can name a few from okay. your list. Uh, sure. Let's say Monte Italy. Yeah, love. Monte Vertine. Mm -hmm. You usually have Laura Escaro. Yes, yes, love her. Love her wines. So he, I'll, I'll use her as an example. Okay. Let us get her wines. We love her wines. Let's say the Vermentino, right? One of my favorites. So there's 20 million Vermentinos on the market. Actually, that's probably not the best example. There probably aren't 20 million Vermentinos. But let's say there's 20 new ones coming to the New York market. So we will have Laura Scaro in front of us. We'll have her Vermentino. We'll taste it. We'll talk about why we love it. And then we'll taste some other Vermentinos. You know, in the, in the most ideal world, we have access to all these wines in any given moment. Um, and that, that, to us, can bring us back home to what we know and love and the precision that we're looking for and see the, the gems or the fakery 
mm-hmm. amongst the crew. Yes. And so what will you, will you contact your distributors and say, drop me off a bottle, send me some Vermentino, and then you'll you'll taste it in that kind of setting so everything has a fair... Yeah, get ready to all our vendors. That's what we're going to start doing <laughs> because it's the only way to do it right now. I feel like yeah. we don't, like Luke was saying, it, it, our palates are confused. And, and that's a way that we understand that's to right. get it back on track. I mean, I think that's so smart because you're only going to have one or two Vermentinos on, especially on a, a smaller list. And you're affected by, I know when, when I first get started with, you know, I taste one day a week on Thursdays um, with with the beverage team. And my first tasting, I was like, yeah, I'm excited. I'm feeling good. I haven't tasted wine with the team together in a week. And then by the end, I was like, oh, I'd have so much work to do now. And it's getting close to the start of service. And I've tasted all these wines. And so depending on how you feel and what else you've tasted that day, it really affects things so much. But if you can taste all those of the same wine against each other, that, that I imagine would be the best way to, to kind of give it a, a fair shake. I think it takes more work, but I think that mm-hmm. not only on our end, but I think that the whole wine industry right now has to participate in this process. I really yeah. do. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that's my dream. Yeah. It's, you know, I love to do all those big wine tasting as well, but the GM part takes a lot of times so away from being the, uh, the wine director and to uh, teach wine. So it's always... It's always a fight between the two. But I, I don't want to, you know, be sound too uh, negative. Like, you know, my wife calls me, I told you before, the old man brown, because I always go in this little <laughs> dark area about talking. And there is ton of great wine coming out. It's really, and there is a lot of people drinking it. And there is every wine will have his own place into somebody's glass. Yes. And I just hope that Italy will come back into a the DOC should stop telling people what color the wine should be there should be a lot more of the IGP I love them every time I see an IGP now which is Indicazione Geografica Protetta it's more what the uh, in Burgundy they've been doing the protecting the agriculture of the grape so the grape can speak his own mind mm-hmm. the grape that grows in that particular area will be made to speak his own mind. So that's my new my new look on the label. And it's like, that's an IGP? Great. They're protecting the agriculture. They're not protecting the color, the flavor, and how the wine is made, but they're following a better mind. I like that. And in my mind, I think that there there should be no DOC hierarchy, at least. The 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 idea that the DOCG being at the top of, of the list makes, seems to make no sense whatsoever when you have so many wines that are made with DOCG status that are that are just terrible in quality that I would when you'd never think of serving in in, uh, in a good restaurant. Exactly. exactly. Um, and and in the DOC and IGP, which are considered lower in the terms of the hierarchy, there's there's beautiful, soulful wines that are that are made with real real pa- with real passion and, and care. So I think that in some ways the French model of uh, save the Grand Cru Premier crew from from Burgundy, but of just having a, an appellation that's that's specific, and this is what the appellation should be, seems to make more sense to me. Do you do you agree? With, you know? Well, totally. then you, then you can totally. let the consumer make up his or her mind, yeah. as opposed exactly. to the government saying how it should taste. Yeah, and then the uh, the consumer will look at the bottle and say, "Oh, the wine was made by Luca. No, I don't like his wine. I prefer <laughs> the other guys. Great, excellent. You know, I expose myself. I'm naked." Drink me or don't. That's all we want. You know, we want truth. 
in a glass, and there should always be truth in a glass. And what, what do you think is a way uh, to get more truth to consumers? It, it seems like there are so many different uh, layers between the winemaker, the importer, the distributor, us, and then the, finally to, to the consumer. You know, some people are pushing for uh, mandatory labeling on the back, but that seems like a far-fetched idea that I don't think is going to happen anytime soon unless it's uh, uh, not, not mandatory, but, but producers decide to do that themselves. But what, what do you think could help get that truth out there? It's just, you know, trust the sommelier and keep your ear open, listen to a little bit more what we have to say to the stories. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to say, you know, it's how can we tell somebody to like something? Uh, it's up to our sommelier to always allow customer to taste things. Now with the Coravin, I always give taste and be like, this is what I would love to pour you because this, I believe you're going to love this. This is what you ask for it. Taste them what you prefer. You know, it's just being open-minded as a customer and be truthful as a sommelier or as a, as a server or as an owner or something. You know, just we need everybody to be a little bit more open and truthful. I don't know what I could add to that. In all honesty, I think you're asking the ultimate question of how we all attain realness in this world. Um, and I think, I think, I guess it does go back to trust. You know, there's a million choices in New York we could make on any given day around which restaurant we go to and which shop that we purchase our food from. And uh, I think it's up to people to, to, to the, it's up to the owners to, to be real around what they're doing and have a point of view and not try to be everything to everyone. That's certainly what we do. Um, and, and, and if the guests feel it, then, then it will work. Yes. And, and that is why I keep coming back to Franny's. I love Marco's. I just love what you guys do so much. Uh, you can, you can feel the passion and the sense of purpose there, but also that everyone is having a really good time. Everyone's having, having a lot of fun as, as they're, they're doing, uh, as they're working. So I, I just adore it there. So thank you both Luca and Francine for being on in the drink. It has been an absolute honor and pleasure to have you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us. us. And uh, I've been admiring you since I met you. You know, you're, you're a great person. You drive sommelier and owners and everybody to do the right thing. And we need more, you know, that's all we need. We're all, you know, we're all teachers and we're all scholars. And we just keep, is that a word, scholars? Yes. Student. It's a good word. It's a good word. Student. Yeah. Yes, that's fine. <laughs> well, and we just keep feeding each other. That's all we do. I'm, I'm going to go and uh, cry now because I am so touched to hear. Let's so, go drink some wine. Let's go drink some wine. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much to, uh, to all of you for listening. This has been In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Bye. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.